did, did you see that shift over the last week? Uh, if you, you haven't done it, you know you're going to be starting to do this. You're going to maybe go up in the attic, find all those decorations. You'll start to put up the tree. Maybe you'll put up the tree like in past years where Michelle and I have put up the tree and the middle of the tree, the lights don't work this year. And you're like, okay, seriously? Uh, Maybe some of you have started holiday baking and cooking But the worst is we have a thousand other things that we feel we need to do. Like that list goes from zero to a hundred really, really fast. And somewhere in the middle of it, we go from the romantic hall, you know, Hallmark movies to, man, I just want it to be January. And and so today, I'm going to give you a a passage of scripture that you're going to go, man, that's not a really a Christmas message. Next week, we're going to start to walk into Advent. But, but this week, I, I want to give you a, a, an unusual choice for the start of the Christmas season. And it, it's found in Mark. And it's the only gospel account in the Bible that has nothing to say about the birth of Jesus. <laughs> so that's even more interesting. We're not seeing Jesus in the manger In fact, Mark mentions neither the miraculous conception nor the birth of Jesus anywhere in his his book. I I want you to to listen to Mark chapter 1. You're going to see it on the screen, but listen to these words. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it was written in Isaiah, the prophet, I will send a messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths. Now, Mark doesn't give us that classic, that warm Christmas story when he opens up his book. But what Mark does for us is he essentially wraps up the entire Christmas message in just a few words. Now, there's nothing wrong with Christmas trees. I love what this building looks like today. There's nothing wrong with decorations. There's nothing wrong with children delighting in unwrapping the presents and food and laughter and some of the traditions that that you and I enjoy. I love this season that we're moving into. If you looked in the... New American Standard Version of the Bible, the translation, you would see these words from Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel. I I love that the NIV actually translated gospel as good news. The beginning of the good news. See, our task at Christmas, church, is not to usher in just celebrations, just to have a lot of great things on our calendar. Rather, it's for us to rediscover the cause of this celebration. So what's the good news? Could that actually be our focus this week as we prepare to walk into Advent? See, the Gospel of Mark tells us about this unusual character named John the Baptist. 
So I, I want to notice three things about John the Baptist which will propel us into Advent next week, which is great. Here's the very first thing about John the Baptist. He was an unusual messenger. Doesn't that capsulate the whole Christmas story? What's usual in the Christmas story? Nothing. Mark chapter 1 verse 6 says this of John the Baptist. What a great description. I would hope this would not be a description of Matt. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. Now, if you're using your imagination, I'm sure you have a great uh, picture of what John the Baptist is. For me, when I read this passage over and over this week, I thought, all right, camel's hair. What does camel's hair actually look like? And it's interesting that the author really wanted us to know that he wore a belt. Like out of everything that he could talk about, the belt's one of the most important things. And he eats locusts and eats honey. I get the impression that John, who was the cousin of Jesus, was just a little bit different. Guess what? You probably have some people in your family that could be classified as a little different. There are just some folks, if you invited them to a social function, you would feel a little uncomfortable to have them around. Guess who was like that? John. John wore these clothes made of camel hair, wore a leather belt around his waist, ate locusts and wild honey. He was this man of the desert. (laughs) He ate the food of the desert. He wore clothing of the desert. Why would God the Father choose to have a guy who's a little bit different be the spokesperson for the coming of Jesus? Well, the second thing is John actually had an unexpected message. Uh, In in Malachi, we're going to pop into the Old Testament. In Malachi, you'll see it behind me. Uh, We see that in Malachi and in Isaiah, John fulfills a couple prophecies. So Malachi 3.1, here's what it says. I will send a messenger, my messenger, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, the promise, the restoration, whom you desire will come. And then Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain, every hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, a flat ground, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed And everyone, all people, will see it together. When John the Baptist comes, he's acting as a proclaimer, as a herald, as an announcer that is saying, prepare the way for the Lord. Now the interesting thing is the word prepare can be used of making a thing ready or keeping it ready. John was not telling them to prepare a pathway for Jesus. He was saying, get ready for who Jesus is. Are you ready? See, in our love at Christmas, of the celebration of the birth of Jesus, I think sometimes we get a little bit lost. We love to prepare for Christ. Because it's like our own personal little baby waiting to be born. There's lots of work, there's lots of excitement before and when a baby comes. 
Maybe for me, I get so wrapped up in the manger scene that sometimes I forget that Jesus isn't a baby anymore. We think that somehow he's satisfied to see us make our annual appearance at Christmas and sing a few Christmas songs. See, John the Baptist was saying, get ready. You need to be ready because someone more powerful than I is coming. John the Baptist is trying to prepare the world to get ready for Christ. See, the world of John the Baptist's day was made up of religious and non-religious people. None of them were ready for the Lord. The non-religious of the day, like our own, liked their sin and didn't want Christ in their lives. The religious of that day and even of now think that we don't necessarily need Christ. So when Christ came, the religious and the non-religious, both groups rejected him. They weren't ready. They weren't ready for Christ to come into their lives. John's voice, and just as you imagine John with the camel hair, the belt, the honey on his beard, I want you to imagine his voice crying out in the barren places. At this time of year, We're all expected to be happy. But in fact, there's more suicides than at any other time in the year in this month. In the midst of so much activity, so much partying, there's this spiritual dryness that appears. We might even be looking for the magic of Christmas. If it just was like I was when I was young... So how are we supposed to get ready? If you look at Mark chapter 1 and verse 4 again, John uses this word, repent. Here's what the verse says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. He preached a a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. See, remember what I just said a minute ago? John told us that we need to be prepared. Well, what did we need to be prepared for? We need to be prepared to repent see that the greek word translated for repentance metanoia is a word that means i'm changing a mind the apostle paul tells us in second corinthians 7 verse 10 godly sorrow always brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow always brings death so there's two kinds of repentance that are possible as we begin to walk into Advent. One is the repentance of the sorrow of the world, a a feeling induced by the fear of getting caught. See, many people recognize the unpleasant consequences of their sin and are persuaded that they are guilty. The the results uh, end up in this superficial sorrow that may lead to temporary reformation or change but not to a genuine turning to Christ for forgiveness. See, godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is that conviction of sin, which is a work of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.37 says this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? See, friends, this stems from the realization of offending a holy an awesome God 
It leads to genuine repentance. Repentance may begin with a sorrowful heart, but to be genuine, it must lead to determined action. See, the call to repent is one of the most important things that we will hear among the sounds of exchanges of Christmas greetings. The singing of carols, the shouts of joy as presents are opened. And here's the third one. John had this extraordinary ministry. In in, in verse 5 of Mark chapter 1, if you go back there, it says this, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. He drew a crowd just like Jesus did. And look what these people did when they saw John. They confessed their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It was a bright Sunday morning in the 28th century London. But Robert Robinson's mood was anything but sunny. All along the street there were people hurrying to church, but in the midst of the crowd stood Robinson all alone. In the distance, the the sound of the church bells reminded him of years past when his faith in God was strong and the church was an integral part of his life. It had been years since he set foot in the church. There were years of wandering, years of disillusionment, a gradual defection from the God that he once loved. That love for God, once fierce and passionate, had slowly burned out from within him. It left him dark and and cold inside. Robinson heard the noise of a horse-drawn cab approaching behind him. Turning, he, he lifted his head to hail the driver, but then he saw that the cab was occupied by a young woman dressed in finery for the Lord's Day. He waved the driver on, but the woman in the carriage ordered the carriage to be stopped. Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you, said, she said to Robinson. Are you going to church? Robinson was about to decline and then paused and said, yes. I'm going to church. He stepped into the carriage and sat down beside the young woman. As the carriage rolled forward, Robert Robinson and the woman exchanged introductions. There was a flash of recognition in, his, uh, in her eyes when he stated her, his name. That's an interesting coincidence, she said. She withdrew a small book of, of inspirational verses, opened it to a ribbon book, bookmark, and handed the book to him. I was just reading a verse by the poet named Robert Robinson. Could it be? He took the book, nodding. Yes, I wrote these words many years ago. Oh, how wonderful, she exclaimed. Imagine I'm sharing a carriage with the author of these very lines. But Robinson barely heard her. He was absorbed in the words he was reading. There were words that one day would be set to music and become a great hymn of our faith. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never seeking. Call for songs of loudest praise. His eyes slipped to the bottom of the page where he read, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. 
He could barely read the last few lines through the tears that brimmed in his eyes. I wrote these words. And I've lived these words, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. The woman suddenly understood. You also wrote, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Sir, you can offer your heart again to God. It's not too late. It wasn't too late for Robert Robinson. In that moment, he turned his heart back to God and walked with him the rest of his days. So friends, as we walk into Christmas, you have heard it say, you've heard it said, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. So friends, I don't think there's a better start at Christmas than for us to look at Mark chapter 1 and go, there is the gospel, the good news that is coming. And as we walk into December, may we celebrate Christ's birth, but more importantly, that Christ is a God who saves. Let me pray. God, thank you for a simple reminder this morning of your truth. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way, encourage my friends. Make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. We love and adore you. We ask all this in your name. Amen.